it's good to good to see each of you and um, I'm grateful for this opportunity to to share um, what will hopefully be a, a word of encouragement uh, for each of you um, as uh, you might see in, in your your notes this is a homily so we're not going really full-blown sermon here um, but more probably of a, a reflection um, of this passage and um, as we go into, I think it's good for us to you know, step back and remind ourselves of the context that we're in. First, you know, according to our gospel readings, um, we find our disciples um, at the beginning of our gospel reading um, have just experienced Jesus Christ for the first time. He's entered into the room behind which the door is locked and they are hiding uh, for fear of the Jews. And it will be another eight days, as our passage goes on uh, in John to show, until Jesus appeared to them a second time in the same place, but still locked behind doors. And each time as a second time, hiding for fear of the Jews. And so as we, um, you know, why is that? Or, and, and how do you... Um, how do you balance that off with, with the, the joy, the ecstasy of knowing that Christ is alive, and them knowing that he has risen? And, and I believe what this bears witness to is, is just the fact that we're complex beings. Um, uh, we don't have one type of feeling, as I hope each of you know. Um, we can experience, on one hand, uh, joy. Um, but a minute later, be overcome with fear. And um, has that ever happened to any of y'all? I know it certainly happens to me. Um, it's happened to me a lot this week, actually. <laughs> um, uh, and speaking of, uh, you know, and looking at kind of uh, how we face trials, um, it seems to be a, a theme that whenever you're going to talk about this, um, you experience it on a greater level. Um, but I believe, though, as, as we look at this, you know, our, the Jesus's followers, you know, caught between these these, you know, the polarity, if you will, of, of, of fear and joy. Um, I think there's there's kind of a parallel for us today um, as Christians. Uh, we are too, you know, a week removed from celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have. Um, come through, I believe, um, what was a particularly um, difficult Lent as the onset of, of the COVID-19 pandemic just seemed to make it all the more weighty. And, um, and a week into, you know, Eastertide, a week into celebrating um, and the joy that comes with us as celebrating together that the resurrection of Jesus Christ we still find ourselves um, in the middle of, of this you know, terrible uh, pandemic. That is, um, I don't know about you, but you know, we know quite a number of people whose um, lives are being seriously altered, um, not just by health, but probably in more cases, just, just economically and, and the stresses that, that, that go with this. So I believe that, um, I believe this lends itself to looking at uh, what Peter had to say 
to the, uh, the church to which he was writing. For the church that he was writing to in, in Asia, uh, which uh, in, in chapter 1, uh, in verse 1, he's writing to the people of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, this was a, a church and a group of church of, of people, of Gentiles mostly, who were used to being a part of the majority, you know, of, of enjoying the, uh, the favor of, of the Roman Empire, if you will, uh, at least not the perse religious persecution. But yet all of a sudden, um, these Gentiles who, who have grown up not having to worry about religious persecution find themselves, find themselves as a community that are struggling, um, that, that are suffering. And so as we, as we look through uh, this passage, verse 3 through 9, um, I think it's appropriate, and I, and I would you know, remember, and I want us to look at these things or kind of keep these three things in front of us. That first of all, in a trial, it's important to remember how great a salvation that we have. And, and Peter begins verses 3 and 4 with this very thing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have been given an inheritance, a great inheritance, through Jesus Christ and the salvation that, that, that he has offered us, that he has made available to us. Um, listen to what Paul has to say in, in his letter to the Ephesians. Uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. In him, that is Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Let me just stop there. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him. That sovereign language that Paul is using. And indeed, we see Peter employing what we call sovereign language in the first two verses of this passage where he speaks of our salvation being given to us by God and us receiving it because he has caused us to be born again. So as we remember and as, as we give thanks for what a great salvation that we have, um, I believe it is appropriate to give God even greater praise because we had absolutely nothing to do with it. Amen? I see heads nodding. Um, and, and, so, and, and not only have we been saved into a living hope, we've also have an, an inheritance that will not go away, not like earthly inheritance, which are temporal, which can rust, which can fade, which can be stolen. And uh, listen to what Paul again has to say to the, the Church of Galatia in chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the ones who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now, now, why am I bringing this up right now? Well, this is points to the fact that what makes our salvation so great is that we are under a new covenant. Um, and, and I want to, to point this out because I think it really impacts the way we as, as Christians, particularly Christians in North America and America and the Bible Belt, if you will, you know, our relationship with the crisis that's going on. And namely, and you'll see this, um, I certainly have, you know, what is God doing? You know, you know and, and we believe and, and always look for God's purposes in the trial. But, but I think we have to be reminded that the curses of the law and, and the way God dealt with Israel when it went into disobedience is, disobedience is no longer upon us. Jesus became a curse so that all the sins that, that have ever been committed by you and I were laid on him so that God does not need to judge us in the way that he judged Israel in the Old Testament. So our posture should not be so much or at all trying to figure out who in our country has made a mistake, who in our country is doing bad things that has called God to do this, bring this pandemic upon us. Certainly it, it matters how we behave and how a group of people behave. But as Christians, um, that just removes the emphasis to other people, whereas we should be asking as individuals, or even more so as a community of Christ, what do you want to do with me? What are your purposes for the trial during this time? And so let's move on to, to uh, chapter 6 of, 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 of this passage. In this you rejoice, and of course in this is, is our salvation that, that is being kept for us in heaven, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this salvation we rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it has been tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is, this is how we as individuals, but even just as importantly as a community of Christ, need to face and understand God's purposes in trials that, that, that he brings sovereignly into our life. And that is... His purposes is to make us more like Jesus. Um, Peter writes uh, a little bit later in chapter 4, verses 12 and following, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something stranger were happening to you, something strange. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the trial's purpose 
is to conform us more and more into the image of Christ to the end that Jesus see, receives all honor and glory at the revelation of when he comes and makes everything right at the end of the ages. So we should always be looking for when faced by trial, what is it, in, what is it that you want to take from me? What is it that you want to put to death in me? so that the flesh in me can be taken out, so that the Spirit can come in and empower me, empower us to live more and more like Christ. Paul speaks well to this uh, and, and this posture in the 12th chapter of Romans, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you, by testing you, by being in the fire of the trial, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable. So what comes with us being refined by the fire is not just the image of Christ being more prevalent in us, but it also comes with us understanding and being wiser about what and how God is working in us and around us. One, one just a couple of notes aside, and as we look at, you know, perhaps, and you ask the question, you know, what are some things that we see at work, or what I see at work, and, and perhaps what you see at work, particularly in this trial? One of the things that, um, that I think is, is particularly important for us to understand now is how this trial is, if you will, setting us free from the illusion of control. Uh, probably those of you who know me well and talk with them well have probably heard me say that, that, that so too often we live under the illusion of control. And, and living in, in uh, this part of the world in this time and age um, can make us feel like we certainly are the captains of our own domain. But it's when God comes in with the trial that by his mercy, that which is restored is the truth that he alone is in control. And therefore, the invitation for us is to turn away from the pride, that pride that, that, that causes us to think, to believe that we are in control of things. So I, I just wanted to, to, to bring that and so, so we have, we have you know, being and rejoicing in God when the trial comes on as a reminder to us about how blessed we really are, enabling us to, to transcend the current nastiness, the difficulties of the trial. And, and, and then we, we have God's purposes that, that we need to learn to embrace um, asking the question of, of what, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in our life so that we may be graciously and mercifully 
transformed more and more into your image. And so as, as Peter has said this, as he has written this, that, you know, and, and, and making clear to us the purpose of the trial that be revealed to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we come to the final two verses of, 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 this, of this reading. And, 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 and it's one of my favorite places in Scripture. And, and this is really what, where we get to, if you will, the fruit of the trial. That, that when we, by the grace of God, beginning in a place of thanksgiving, keeping that before us, and by the grace of God being led by the Spirit as we die to ourselves, as we make ourselves more and more available to the, to the purging of the Spirit, as we do these things, we are invited into a wonderful place of assurance in verse 8, Peter concludes, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is, in, that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And I just want to stop there. Though you do not see him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. If there's one thing I want you to take from, from this, from what I'm sharing today, is that as we go through a trial, what glorifies God is not how pretty it looks. It wouldn't be a real trial if it was pretty. But according to Peter, that which brings glory to God, a glory which is inexpressible is the fact that simply in the midst of the trial, our confession is, I love him. We love him. Even though I don't see him, even though you don't see him, when the witness of the spirit within us and to others is the fact that we love him, even when we don't see him now, we still love him. That brings joy and glory inexpressible. And, and this is the hope that we're invited into, that when we see this, this belief, if you will, this faith at work in our lives and in the lives of others, we can bear witness. We can bear witness with, with, with great confidence that we belong to the Lord. There's an insurance that we are invited into that as we live this out, we can be confident of the salvation of our souls. So just in closing um, and for your further reflection, um, you know, we, we must remember as a trial comes and constantly remind ourselves of how great a salvation we have. In spite of what we see, in spite of what we feel, nothing has changed eternally. Secondly, we must learn to embrace God's purposes in us through the duration of the trial. And that as we do this, thirdly, that, that we can have the peace and the assurance that God will be glorified and that we will persevere to the end.